Pro teams have millions to spend, and they don't always spend them wisely. But when it comes to a great shave, you don't have to shell out tons of cash. Harry's saw customers getting ripped off by the shaving industry, with overpriced, underperforming products, and decided to do something better. They found their own way to make beautifully designed razors for a fraction of the price of the other big brands, so you never wonder if you overpaid. Harry's shaving products look great, and the weighted handle makes shaving feel great too. I like to keep my beard neat, and Harry's always leaves me with a smooth yet crisp shave. Harry's quality is top-notch, thanks to German-engineered blades made in their own factory that stay sharp longer. You can get a five-blade razor, weighted handle, foaming shave gel, and a travel cover for just three bucks at harrys.com slash bluewire. And Harry's has the highest customer satisfaction in the shaving industry, plus a convenient subscription option that you can cancel at any time. Getting the best doesn't mean spending the most when you shave with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash bluewire. That's harrys.com slash bluewire for a $3 trial set. Hello and welcome to Here's Where It Went Wrong, the podcast where every week we have on one of our favorite comedians to talk about one of their favorite things and we trace its history to find out exactly where it all went off the rails. I'm joined as always by my co-host Andrew Nadeau. Andrew, how you doing buddy? I'm, I'm doing amazing. I wish I had a different response to this, but the truth is after every show, I'm just so happy every time. <laughs> this was so fun. <laughs> we yeah, finished no. recording, then we recorded this intro and I'm always in such a great mood. I know. This is, is it was so much fun. We talked with Dylan Adler today, who wanted to come in and talk about gay bars, um, which was a, a topic we absolutely loved. So we got into some big history here with some ancient origins down to the development of Molly houses, as well as, you know, some 19th and 20th century development, the very first official one in the French Riviera. And we talk a lot about the Stonewall Inn, of course, because that is so pivotal in gay history and gay culture. So it was it was so much fun. It was a great time. Oh, it's fantastic. This is my first time meeting Dylan. And I know you had him on uh, your digital show, but like he's so good. I submerged myself in watching his videos and everything uh, beforehand. Uh, I love his I love his work. I love his comedy. Uh, meeting him. He's he just is, a joy. I'm I'm thrilled. I wish we had an excuse to get him to sing. That was the only thing I wanted that we didn't get today. But it's kind of inappropriate to have a guest on for a talking podcast. Be like, by the way, would you do one of your amazing songs for us? But <laughs> But not only that, I don't want to just highlight the episode, just you and me wise. This is going to come out way after the fact, but we just had our first live show yeah, back exactly. together in 16 months. And it was incredible. I mean, th this was so fun. We're we're now doing a Spitfire again at Lincoln Lodge. This is going to be last Thursday of the month. So this is going to be July 29th when this one comes out. It was one of the best times I've had throughout like all of COVID. <laughs> I mean, yeah, COVID's not over, but we're able to do more things live and in person. And this this is our first time we got to do this show in 16 months, and I got to hear so much new stuff from you that I haven't got. I'm missing you perform live <laughs> so much. You're so fucking clever, and I'm like literally had to face the wall and scream laugh so that people wouldn't realize that it was me the host and that they would think that I was like trying to like pump up the crowd or something. I'm just legitimately a huge fan. That, I mean, you, you know, I feel absolutely the same guys. This is just a weird thing that I got to do, but we had to, this was a new venue for us. We got to go in and check sound and I'm just walking the room and adjusting lights and watching when go through this new set. And uh, it's incredible being back doing live comedy. It was a fantastic set. I think some of the tightest stuff you've ever written. And uh, yeah, so please come check it. We're going to be doing it either way. Honestly, if none of you show up, we're going to do it because it's so much fun just to watch each other, but we hope you'll come watch too. It's great. We're friends, but we're, we're fans of yeah. each other first. And I think that's a good balance. Real healthy stuff from us. Yeah. Well, guys, that you'll see more of this uh, fantastic fan of each other stuff throughout the whole episode. So stick around. Let's get into it. Let's go. Dylan Adler, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you, Andrew Winsler. Absolutely. So I, I got to meet you recently when you did Cabin Fever. And I, I think we all, of course, you know, do the recap of the show afterwards to go through any notes. And I think the phrase used by all three of us was so fucking good. That was just, it, it was a fantastic set. It was so good. Hoping to get out to New York to see it live. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. And I still remember that show because your one-liners were just killing me. I was laughing <laughs> so hard. They're so, so 
funny. I really, I really, I really love that. We just had our first like live show. Me and Andrew hosts a live show here in Chicago. Oh, cool. And Andrew did like a 10 minute set and I hadn't heard like half of the <laughs> new stuff he's written. So like, I'm just, I had to, like, I'm supposed to be like hosting the show, but I'm like facing a wall and like scream laughing <laughs> at like half the shit he's saying. Yeah. Trying to like keep my cool, but I can't. Like he's, he's so fucking good. It was so much fun. Also, when I don't think I mentioned to you, statement directly from my mother, the best she's ever seen you. Oh, hell yeah. That's yeah. good to hear. So if you guys uh, consider my mom a reliable source for comedy, which I do, come see Spitfire. <laughs> we're, we're back in town now. <laughs> so, uh, Dylan, what did you want to talk about today? I want to talk about, so this is the podcast about where it went wrong. I want to talk about gay bars, queer spaces, and I want to talk about straight people coming in and making out in these spaces. Spaces and grinding in the limited capacity, tight, already tense queer spaces and, and ruining the vibe by doing that. And I, I think that's one that we can all absolutely agree on. We're, we're going to start with personal experience and, and what you've enjoyed about them, what this would be like without when and my kind, they're ruining it. Okay. Yes. When, when your kind comes, yeah. <laughs> um, when I, you know, I, uh, I think it's like, okay, so sometimes I'm going to be honest, gay bars are already kind of tense and it's. <laughs> like gays are not they're, they're mean sometimes you can strike out you know sometimes it's already tense so if you're kind of already having a little bit of a bad night and then you see a straight couple like right in front of you kind of making out in front of it's like go to an irish pub guys go anywhere and do this this is what buffalo wild wings is for that is literally their slogan straight people make out here you know i don't even like it when my parents kiss i'm like ugh, or like when uh when hetero people kiss so um maybe it's that but uh i remember also another personal experience i remember a comic a friend of mine usama siddiqui it was we were we were in a taxi cab talking and he's like oh i just love going to you know gay bars kind of you know write jokes and blah 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 and i'm like oh, okay all right yeah whatever and then he's like and then one time i like brought a girl over there and we started making out in the back and i started getting this vibe that people didn't like it and i was like yeah 100 yeah. percent, <laughs> you got that vibe that tracks that tracks and he was like oh i'm glad someone confirmed it i'm like yes i did i don't feel like that should have needed confirming i feel yes, like <laughs> yes yeah, yeah 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 the vibe should have been enough to kind of like tell you exactly what you were doing oh the vibe when a gay man gives you a vibe it's it's a vibe and you know it's a you know it's, it's a vibe it's not subtle it's not subtle it's not subtle i'm also going to go out on a limb and say that the name gay bar should have been a pretty big tip there too as to what is and is not acceptable behavior totally 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 and you know what straight people you can come to like gay bars and like it's like i'm fine with that but like if you're gonna go there to like make out and like grind and like you know if it's already crowded i'm like just, just, you know. There's every other bar. There's yeah. go to Hooters. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So what are the the positives to start us off then? What are some of your favorite bars in, in New York or if you have a favorite outside of New York, that's good too. Yes. Okay. So one of my favorite gay bars is actually Stonewall. Very historic. Yeah. When I first got there, well, I, I first got there when I was underage. So I used like a fake ID, but I thought I'm like, oh, Stonewall, it's going to be a museum. This is historic. <laughs> but uh, no, it was, it was like a bopping club and it was very very active it's, they play good music my other favorite spot is rosemont because they play good music and the vibe is um not super um pretentious or kind of mean i think at those faces right. so that that's those are my definite two favorite favorite spots well when and i are both in boys town in chicago which is a fantastic area to begin with i think i'm about a block east of the line when you're about a block north of the line is that right i'm technically in wrigleyville and the fact that Wrigleyville and Boys Town are right next to each other. I think <laughs> there are fantastic. It, no, no, there's not. That's the best part. Like, I think it's just fantastic city planning and the fact that like they could not be more separate in their vibes, and yet you could switch easily, like just back and forth, and it's it's a fun vibe. I love it. Yeah, the fights in Wrigleyville are mostly just when White Sox fans come up. Surprisingly, that's 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 when they all it breaks out. <laughs> or when Cubs fans are just drunk and near each other, they'll start 
fights amongst themselves. That's yeah. fine. Okay, it's like straight on straight violence. I'm fine with right. that. <laughs> it's the best kind. <laughs> it's the best kind. I actually enjoy watching. I, I almost yesterday saw a street fight come out between these uh, two white guys, and I was like, oh my god, I hope this happens. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> is there a way they could both lose? Yeah. I know, it's like, is there a way they can both uh, knock each other out? Like, But uh, it didn't happen. I was like, fuck. Oh, that's disappointing. Yeah. That. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. So, I mean, the, the vibe here is, has been fantastic, of course, all through June. Pride Month, I was having to, to make up for last year. It was great because every night it just spilled into the streets. So it was, it was fantastic here. I unfortunately spend most of my time at home and it was still one of those things that I, you know, it's, it's great just to walk around it and be a part of because it's, it's so, in, just the energy is fantastic. It's, it's so much more positive than our bars. <laughs> all of that that tinge of drunk and sad. Yeah. Uh-huh. And you know what? I was thinking because I think there is like such a wonderful energy at gay bars and queer spaces. That's like, and you know, I can understand how um, maybe some, you know, cishet straight people would love to like go and like enjoy the, and you know what? I'm like, if it's not too crowded and you're not like aggressively making, I'm like, yeah, go for it. Go like, go march and do a float and like go to a gay space. Like, yeah, I, you know, I'm like, I'm, I'm all for that. I think the not too crowded part is key too is that you have to realize that you are taking up a space here if there's someone more deserving you should not be there and even gays like i feel hated at those spaces (laughs) like it's just it's a you know some i mean like gays are vicious at times and uh it's already kind of well it depends on the space there's some more spaces that feel like more cool and welcoming but you know it's already kind of like kind of ten and some spaces like when it's crowded and like you're at a you're at a hell's kitchen game right yeah <laughs> That's very fair. I once met a group of friends at uh, Roscoe's, which is a bar in Chicago, after a Robin concert. They were like, hey, come here. And I was like, yeah, sure. So I got there after the rock and like it was all just post Robin. Con- they- all they were playing was Robin. I was like, this place fucking rules. Yeah. I yeah. love this. And it's not something I could do. I can't do that in an Irish pub. I can't just scream dancing yeah. on my I'm own. I'm in the con. Of course. It's so good. <laughs> I mean, also, I mean, call your girlfriend. Like, I yes. fucking love Robin. I'm a huge Robin <laughs> Yes. Fan. Oh my God. Yes. She is, she's an incredible artist. She's amazing. Just fantastic. But the vibe at that bar, I was just like, I can't get this anywhere. I can't get this at a sports bar. I can't get this at a bar watching the Cubs in Wrigleyville. I was going to start screaming, dancing on my own very yeah. earnestly, might I add. Yes. Like some people, some people are just like, oh yes, they'll sing Sweet Caroline, which is not yeah. dancing on my own. It's like, not but danceable. you'll get people emotionally scream singing it and it's so nice it's cathartic <laughs> i know like me and my uh, straight male friend just went to stonewall by ourselves just us like just kind of dancing and we were there until 2 a.m and I, he was just feeling himself he was voguing he was getting into it and by the end of the night i was like hey i'm, I'm getting a little tired he was like bro are you sure you want to leave because <laughs> i could stay here the whole night i'm like no i'm, I'm getting a little tired i'm like I, he needed this it, it was great it was it was very I get it. I totally get it. I absolutely love it, but also definitely agree. Do not just like bring your straight, like hide it. You need to, you need to be closeted while you're there as much as you can (laughs) if you're straight. Yes, I'm here for that. I'm here for that. (laughs) But Andrew, tell us about the the history. Let's get into the history of gay bars. Sure. So this was an, I mean, I always say this, this was an interesting one to research because it's one of those things where it had such a vast difference across cultures and different times of the world, but also was not one of those things that was heavily documented. So I had to look for what I considered to be the ancient origins of gay socialization spots. Because in ancient Greece, especially, but later in ancient Rome, sexual identification was not a, a significant marker as was the role one took in the relationship. Because it was basically assumed that everyone was bi. That was just your starting point in Greece. Wow, that should be the starting point everywhere. Everywhere, yeah. right. That's a fantastic mindset. The issue was that being dominant in a gay relationship had no impact on one's social standing, but being submissive in a relationship would result in infamia, a loss of legal or social standing. As speaking on that, um, bottoms today still don't have rights, and I want to speak on behalf of, of, of my community that yeah. that's very real, very real. So, yeah, I mean, there there was intense persecution over this. So, I mean, you were actually relegated to the cast of Infames, which included prostitutes, gladiators, and obviously actors who just could not get a break. 
make. Why'd you say obviously actors? It was pretty obviously (laughs) actors. You know, you're like all the obvious bottoms. Obviously. Uh Your gladiators and your actors. Yeah, you know, improv comics, um, you know. Here's what it was, was that actors and dancers, basically you were using your body in performance. It was just assumed that you were probably selling your body on the side. So if you were an actor, you were automatically like, okay, but like also a prostitute. Yeah, it's like no way that was going to pay the bills by itself. Right. Okay, okay. (laughs) Also, wait, I just want to confirm this. So you're saying that gladiators was part of this class. So like, that's it? Like, they're just like the the gladiator fights were between, you know, bottoms? Is that what what I'm hearing? (laughs) Oh, I would like to see that actually. Wow, what a fight. Just fighting with words? I don't know, sorry. (laughs) You're saying the meanest fucking things you've ever heard in your life. Yeah, oh my god. They're, I mean, they're cutting each other with words like hell to death, even. Yeah. <laughs> no, the gladiators uh, in uh, Rome at this time, the thing is, is they, were, they weren't free men. They were uh, essentially slaves, but they were also the best trained individual fighters in all of Rome. Like, there they were schools for this. You were going to grow up and do this and then die way too young. Uh, so it's, it's, these were alternatives to the free men status, which you didn't get the same respect, but for different reasons. <laughs> So it was this weird caste system that was oddly inclusive of all these different groups that like, no, it's like we could have our own separate, less important group. Like, no, we're just going to put you all in one. So because of of this, because everyone was basically bisexual, there weren't really meeting places specifically for gay people. However, the bathhouses were the place where men could publicly meet and engage in sexual acts. But due to that loss of standing for the submissive, it was often between a man and a prostitute rather than a relationship. But these were the origins of the public meeting space for gay interaction, essentially, but obviously in a much uh, <laughs> less fun socializing way than they would be later on, which is what brings, I mean, there's there's pretty much a big jump after this, obviously, at a certain point, Catholicism takes over and sweeps through Europe and just kind of ruins everything for everyone. So Catholic so, <laughs> can confirm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so our next development where you're really seeing them appear in a, in a form more relatable today is in the Mali houses. There are reports of bars and clubs that catered specifically to a gay clientele They only really go back to the 17th century in Europe, but they were often unnamed and didn't do so openly as sodomy was a capital offense in England. And with the control of Catholicism, most of Europe viewed it the same. So in England, the precursor to gay bars advanced in Molly houses in the 18th century. Molly houses were originally painted as having strong sexual components, but many historians like Richter Norton suggest they functioned just as much as social meeting place for LGBTQ plus clientele. So this was still mostly underground, but definitely the origins here. So Molly at the time was slang for an effeminate and usually gay man, though surprisingly like a lot of slang for, for Molly around the time. I found like eight different definitions. It wasn't necessarily the only origin of the name or that meant that Molly houses were exclusively gay as Mall was a term for a lower class woman and occasionally meant a prostitute uh, involved obviously to today's meaning of gangster Mole, the female companion of the criminal. Wait, so they're saying that they're exclusively places for gay men, but also women who do crimes? Basically, yeah. That sounds like a gay bar today, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> Just gay men and women who do crimes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it was at least intended to be indicating of those not accepted by mainstream society, whether it was because of homosexuality or social status, it's unclear, but it became the meeting place of the LGBTQ population. So during the Georgian era, the male and female roles in relationships began to be considered more fixed. As more emphasis was put on the importance of family and household for creating the next generation and raising them right, this was also in the depiction, the allowance of behavior of women switched from being lustful and sexually aggressive tempters of men to passive women who are supposed to be maternal doters of the household. And men were expected to be dominant in all aspects. And instances of passivity were seen as feminine and weak, bringing back again the, the same Greek and Roman stereotype from the past. Oh my God, uh, there was a time before that that it was not like, that's cool. I'm like, cool to know that. Yeah, it, it, for different reasons, because uh, there was the whole biblical era where women were just tempters and she-devils. Like if men had sexual desires, it was because of women. It's not like women were ever painted good. <laughs> it was just they were painted into this this different 
different group, but at least one where they had a, a bit more control. So they pretty much they were just like they went from horny to boring. It's like yeah. was like the intended <laughs> shift. That was absolutely the, the switch it, it took. But because of this, because, I hate it. I mean, yeah, everyone <laughs> did, especially the uh, people that the patrons of Molly houses, because before this gender roles weren't nearly so well defined. So Molly houses weren't just a meeting place for gay men, but a place where these newly imposed expectations could be ignored because of this activities at Molly houses were often a mockery of the expected family norms with performances of cross-dressing, marriage, and mock birth rituals were a big one too, where they would have cross-dressing and perform a birth with a doll, presumably very sarcastically. <laughs> but there there was also the aspect of a ritual similar to, you know, this is our our experience and our version of, of this. All I can imagine is Rocky Horror Picture Show. Also because yeah. it's like yeah. England, they're like, this is the Molly house and fuck the norm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was very much it. And because of this, because this was this protest against the, the norms where before you could be a different type of man. Now, as these developed men took on the personas, as we might see today in drag, they would address each other as my dear or your ladyship, because at this point, the personality that they could have openly before now was considered purely feminine. Andrew, I fucking love this so much. It was really I love that. <laughs> so I found a list of names of people used in the Molly houses at this time. Uh, so th these were the names that, that men chose. Unfortunately, this was a, a list given by a guy who was just super angry about this and just staked out the houses and wrote down the names. And then at the end said, okay, but these probably aren't the real names. So guys, just do your best to find them. <laughs> it was it was the dumbest thing. So some of the names they had were uh, Eleanor Roden, China Mary, Flying Horse Mall, Small Coal Mary. Uh, my favorite was Joanna the Ox Cheek Woman, <laughs> Tub Nan, Suki Pisquil, Garter Mary. <laughs> <laughs> Hard Nan, Pretty Chris was a good one. Aunt England, Pomegranate Molly, Orange Mary, who they did as an orange merchant. <laughs> it's like, okay, well, they, they didn't, they gave you a lot to go on there. Old Fish Hannah, again, chose their own name, but Old Fish wow. Hannah. <laughs> Kate Hutton was identified as an old man that never wears a shirt. Love it. <laughs> Thumbs and Waist Jenny, Queen Irons, whose alias was Pippin Mary, and Hanover Kate was the spouse to Pippin Mary. Miss Kitten and Rose Gudger and Black Mall were the last ones I could find on this. Okay, but wow. I do think Aunt England won season four of Drag Race. I know, that's what I'm thinking. These are drag, <laughs> these are all silky, ganat, like all these names, like Absolutely. Brita Filter, like um, Laganja, Estranja, but got a Mary, Pretty yeah. Chris, Jonathan the Oaks Cheek Woman. Yeah, no, there's so many of these are like perfect drag names. I'm just yeah. like, these are fantastic. These I would see wonderful. any of these queens perform tonight. Oh yeah, this this was the origin of drag names, the Molly Houses, and it was, it was very cool. It was really great. I think some queens should take these names right now. These are yeah. just wonderful. <laughs> Jonathan the Oaks Cheek Woman. Yeah. That's a, uh, my favorite one. Yeah, no, th these were fantastic. There were definitely ones that if I saw today, I was like, oh yeah, this is this is fantastic. This is going to be a good, if you if you see that lineup at a drag show, it's like, oh, this is going to be a good one. Both intimidated, but also like excited. Right. <laughs> so obviously the problem with this was the rest of England, that they've already enacted their buggery laws at this point, making uh, sodomy a capital offense. So Molly houses have to keep their gatherings and activities secret, which means they typically developed in the seedier parts of town where no one wanted to draw the attention of the law. So their business could be acknowledged and, you know, at least tolerated, if not accepted. Uh, <laughs> so the, the government in their infinite wisdom here would use pillories as punishment, which were, you know, stockades where you had to stand. So they were more uncomfortable. But pillories were set up where the crime took place. So it just helped identify Molly houses and gay friendly locations to anyone that needed one. If you saw a pillory, you're like, oh, cool. Give it two days. And this is going to be a great place for me to go hang out. Wait oh for God. the heat to die down. Right. And there you yeah. there's my new hangout spot. It was great because this wasn't something that could be talked about openly. Of course, it was hard to get this information out. The best source was if a pillory went up. It was like, oh, you know, this is going to be a good one. Wow. So like I just orgies at the, at the pillory, I right. guess. Yeah. Yeah. Don't hang out here. Right. Wink. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I love when the government fucks up to a degree where it's like this is going to have the exact opposite effect in the best way for everyone else. Exactly. They actually built a community for a, yeah. a safe space. It, it, was, it was fantastic. I'm still just thinking about the one like angry straight guy who was apparently going to the bad part of town just to stand there and write in his little I notebook. Know. Just like, oh, this is disgusting. 
disgusting Joanna the ox cheek woman like, like, <laughs> like how is he not giggling to himself the entire time and being like okay this is fun this is I pretty get good it. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah what happened that this level of obsessive people staking it out was uh after the glorious revolution of 1688 these groups wanted to shape England as a country under their moral code especially England so the society for the reformation of manners which is the dumbest name is so formed in 1691 with the aim of suppressing profanity and what it considered to be immorality and lewd activities. So these groups used spies and provocateurs to dismantle Molly houses. <laughs> but in order to obtain a conviction of violation of the Buggery Act, you needed to prove that both penetration and ejaculation had occurred with two witnesses required to prove the crime. <laughs> <laughs> so no one got caught. No, so like, all right, <laughs> how are they? You'd have to be there for the, you'd have to need two people watching you for the entire thing. <laughs> <laughs> to completion. Right. Wow. <laughs> so instead, there was often this lesser charge of assault with sodomitical intent, <laughs> which is like, just let him go, guys. You know, you've got nothing. <laughs> but because of this, they also had men like Charles Hitchin, who is the famous thief taker and under marshal of London. <laughs> Charles Hitchin was hired to capture these and other criminals, but was very open about the fact that he was a criminal and running a ring of dozens of thieves. He was immersed in bribery and blackmail. He had multiple Molly houses raided despite being a regular visitor of them because he was also a member of the society for the Reformation of Manners. What a character this guy is. I know. Wow. So he dick. really is like Roy Cohn. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Just absolutely, yeah, terrible. Where's this Showtime series about yeah. this guy? His, <laughs> no. gang of, his gang of Cockney criminals uh, going to the gay bars that they love and then after they leaving, just being like, you should get those bitches. <laughs> They're all in there. It was, it was yeah. the worst. <laughs> just the worst gay, uh, Milo Yiannopoulos. Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that of the time. Well, the thing was, though, at this point, because England had decided they needed more regulation, they created the position of marshal and under marshal, but the position was bought. <laughs> So, and it had greatly increased in value by the time Hitchin took office. So they didn't want to charge him because it would devalue the post, knowing that you might be under marshal and tried for your crimes and lose your position before you made your money back that you spent buying the position. Oh my God. This, this was the government of the time who's like, yes, this is a system that we are, <laughs> are actually going to keep. <laughs> so wow. he eventually lost his post only when his thieves pickpocketed member of nobility who reported it. It, and the thieves, of course, turned on Hitchin. Uh, he only lost the position temporarily. He was pretty successful in regaining the position and the status. The only thing that led to his permanent downfall was Molly Houses. Because he was a, a frequenter and eventually a Molly House was staked out to catch him and leading to the assault charge that would imprison him. But he, he still was able to sell his position. He got 700 pounds <laughs> selling his position. People were, of course, outraged because they were fined with uh, the thieving and bribery. But being gay was, of course, not okay. So he was injured in the pillory uh, and then was, was sent to prison and and died a month later. And after this, there was a strict reformation that ramped up on Molly houses were all but shut down. I didn't see a resurgence for 20 years. The big one being Mother Claps Molly House. And this was a fantastic name. <laughs> what a name! Mother Claps. Yeah. Mother Claps was the name of the gay bar? It, it was, and her real name, by the way. She Her last name was Clap. And she's like, yeah, this is me. She basically ran a brothel out of this, you know, potentially, or just a Molly House. We're not sure exactly of the lines here. I mean, I'm just imagining a woman who looks like Ursula, right? Yes. But just the best yes. kind of exactly woman. what I picture. Mother Claps, <laughs> who runs the... Ugh, I love it. History's fun. It I like was. history. And, and yeah. this was actually huge, but because this was such a big trial, it was one of the biggest sources we had of gay lifestyle at the time. Because of the they had put so much effort in trapping this, they had so many witnesses describing the lifestyle at Mother Claps. And this was one of the only examples we had of the time of actually what it was like in these houses and for gay communities to build. Yeah, sorry, I got no joke. I, I just love this it was, a it lot. Was, it was really interesting. And because of this, there was a break for a while. The Molly Houses kind of came back a little bit in 1750 for a while. It all kind of died down. In 1810, there was the raid of the White Swan during the Veer Street Coterie, which was the site where Reverend John Church was performing gay marriages. In the That's 1800s? Awesome. In 1810, yeah. Wow. And, I mean, Church, he, he did some cool stuff. Uh, <laughs> so he, he performed <laughs> a, a number of these. There's debate and discussion as to whether or not he was gay himself. Some call him the, the first openly gay reverend. Some say, you know, maybe not. He didn't quite say it, but he was performing a lot of gay marriages when that was not allowed. But it's not until 1885 where what is widely considered the first 
true gay bar open in Europe in the Zanzibar in Cannes on the French Riviera, where it operated for 125 years. I mean, it was just a huge ride. It didn't close until 2010. That, whoa. Yeah. So you could like go to the rise of movies being a thing and then like this becoming the movie town of Cannes and still yes. go to this bar. Yes. It, it was incredible uh, how long it, it ran because Amsterdam, Berlin and London had more meeting places for the LGBTQ plus organizations. But Paris became the center for gay culture because of what was considered and called a flamboyance of the LGBTQ plus quarters, which were Montmartre and the Pigalle uh, districts. So that and the visibility of the LGBTQ plus celebrities, which were largely artists, writers, performers that just flocked here. So there might have been more in other cities, but Paris and these districts in particular quickly became like, oh yeah, this is it. This is this is the center. Wow, that's, um, you know, because Paris was like the art center of the world for a long time. So that would make sense that there were a lot of gay bars there and lots of queer people there because it was like the place. WC was there, you know, it was just like musicians, authors, artists, painters. Oh, yeah. It almost seems like self-perpetuating because you get the reputation of being the arts town. People flock there. You become more of an arts town. You get more of the gay culture there. And it's a perpetual motion machine. It just keeps feeding itself. Yeah. So because this this was the period where absence became big and the French wine industry got furious because this was becoming big with artists. It was the White Claw of the time, yeah. I guess. <laughs> I don't know. Gays love White Claws. It's not that many calories. Well, it was this. So they started the smear campaign of this is the drink only used by artists and the debauchery of society. They started the campaign of, of it causing, you know, visions and hallucinations. And everyone went, this sounds amazing. We should all be yeah, doing what this. Terrible <laughs> smear campaign. Absinthe, the drink of cool sex. <laughs> so, yeah, it very much became the, the drink of this crowd. Also, the society just absolutely expanded from this period. But the, the scene was primarily for gay men. Lesbian groups operated more in private circles. But uh, Chemon, the new moon, opened shortly before World War II as lesbian cabarets, which was an early stage of this. Berlin actually had really vibrant gay nightlife, which became very open through the 1920s with the gay club El Dorado and the Mastabe uh, being internationally known for its drag shows. I saw wow. cabaret. I yeah. saw cabaret. Okay, <laughs> holy fucking shit, because I thought, I was like, oh, no way there was a gay bar like this before World War II. There's no way. But learning that the show is actually based on truth and there were real gay bars and real people. Oh, yeah. came, that's insane. That's so, oh my, yeah. The, cabaret. It's cabaret. No, cabaret was, cabaret. <laughs> I mean, it, was it was pretty real. And yeah. I mean, to be known, especially when you have countries still on the edge of, I mean, well, far from accepting this, but even in, in their districts, not quite sure what to do with this. And this is internationally known. Like, no, if you go to El Dorado, you are going to see the drag show of Europe. <laughs> I love that. Cabaret is one of my favorite shows. It's really nice to know that it's historically accurate. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. In, in fact, they stayed strong with this uh, growing development until 1933, and we obviously all know what happened then, which is, is <laughs> too much of a bummer to get into. <laughs> Gay nightlife of World War II? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> quick sidetrack, because I just got a quick cabaret story. I had a director in college who wanted to do cabaret in our small theater so bad, and that sounds like right up my alley. Like, I have, I've wanted to do cabaret my entire life, and I've never gotten the chance. Play Alan Cumming. You were going to play the mic, the MC, right? Yeah. <laughs> Look, I yes, I would love to play the MC. That is like one of those things that you just, every guy wants to do it at some point. So he had this idea for it. However, his idea for the ending was the show ends, people like Nazis come out and have, the, there's no curtain call and they make the audience leave at gunpoint. <laughs> <laughs> No. Isn't that the craziest <laughs> shit you've ever heard in your life? And of course, everyone's reaction was, we're not doing that. Uh, I'm sorry you didn't like my idea, but I thought it was going to be very powerful. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. Yeah. God, that's insane. Just like you can't make an audience leave at gunpoint. Right. Just make a 90-year-old woman get up and <laughs> out of her chair. That's cool. It's, that's so funny. Also, it's just like the idea of like, <laughs> Nazis guys, huh? Let's make this whimsical. Yeah. This feels like a strong statement that does not need to be made here. Like, we already saw a cabaret. We know what's happening here. Yeah, like, it's a bummer ending. You don't need to really right. hammer that home and also deny, like, student performers a curtain call. Right. Yes, yes. But I, I will that's the big one. Yeah, I will say the first time I saw a cabaret and I saw that, I guess I'm just literally such a dumbass. The first time I saw it, I, like, walked away and I was like, oh, yeah. 
yeah, that was really good. But what was the ending about? And they were like, that was World War II. I was like, oh my God, serious? <laughs> that was what that was? I thought it was just like crazy. No, I was such a, I was like, okay. The important thing is, did you see an Alan Cumming-esque production? Or did you see like an earlier kind where like the MC is like wearing a little tux and he's painted up like a little doll? <laughs> oh, I saw Alan Cumming on Broadway. I'm just a dumbass. Did you really? Oh, oh that's fuck. amazing. That's the I coolest did. way to see Cavalier. Yeah. <laughs> so I know, and I still didn't. It still didn't click that the ending was that. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> he was amazing. He was so good. Oh, he's the oh, best. Incredible. I've had. I have like. A, I used to run a loop of his performance of it. I also love Norbert Leo Butz's take on it, oh, which yeah. you can find a Letterman performance of on YouTube. Didn't we do Butz yeah. in the last episode? <laughs> yeah, literally the last. Ep- I talk about Norbert Leo Butz a lot. I'm a musical theater guy <laughs> yeah. uh, through and through. <laughs> I'm a musical theater. I'm very happy to hear it, Wenzel. I'm also a theater bitch. I just, <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, same. in college, I'm. I wanted to write musicals. I majored in like music composition for musicals. So yeah, that's incredible, and I love it. I yeah, I majored in musical theater, and uh, now I do this podcast. Yeah, <laughs> and I mean, Dylan does too. So apparently, that's the pipeline. That, oh that's my how you God. get here. <laughs> and me, I'm just here by chance. I'm just. I think I'm just the Jewish guy that you need for a podcast. Kind of required. <laughs> <laughs> Mm. You really round out the cabaret experience. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. The giant musical about Paris in the 1800s, about the actual theater, Moulin Rouge. Mm. Oh, yes. So as long as we're covering these, as long as we're covering these being real, Moulin Rouge was as well. I know people know it was a a real place. Obviously, the, the movie was a bit of exaggeration, but the level to which this was a congregation for artists and dancers, and of course, the gay community as well, was huge. This was a really significant part and you know these things somehow survived a history that did not want these to be a thing and the stories that ended up in these beautiful musicals is fantastic i love that i wish everything would end in that i want everything to end in a, in a fantastic musical telling a story like cabaret yeah yeah absolutely <laughs> so this was obviously going back to the uk homosexuality remained illegal until 1967 so gay bars remained secretive though in 1912 the cave of the golden calf opened literally underground and it became a haunt for the aristocratic classes and bohemian artists and was this home of decadence. Like Golden Calf was chosen as the, the symbol here. It's like, we're not going to be silly about this. It was the home of decadence. So much so it went bankrupt after two years. <laughs> Live fast, die young. That sounds like UCB Hell's Kitchen. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. Cut that. Cut that. No, don't cut it. Yeah, we're <laughs> Don't cut it. Actually, leave it in. Pro teams have millions to spend and they don't always spend them wisely. But when it comes to a great shave, you don't have to shell out tons of cash. Harry's saw customers getting ripped off by the shaving industry with overpriced, underperforming products and decided to do something better. They found their own way to make beautifully designed razors for a fraction of the price of the other big brands. So you never wonder if you overpaid. Harry's shaving products look great and the weighted handle makes shaving feel great too. I like to keep my beard neat and Harry's always leaves me with a smooth yet crisp shave. Harry's quality is top-notch, thanks to German-engineered blades made in their own factory that stay sharp longer. You can get a five-blade razor, weighted handle, foaming shave gel, and a travel cover for just three bucks at harrys.com slash bluewire. And Harry's has the highest customer satisfaction in the shaving industry, plus a convenient subscription option that you can cancel at any time. Getting the best doesn't mean spending the most, when you shave with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash bluewire. That's harrys.com slash bluewire for a $3 trial set. Yeah, yeah look best I am. But because of this, this was actually the introduction of a different kind of nightlife to England. The possibilities of these existing as a club, it was the inspiration for future clubs in the city and eventually the Gary Bars as well. So th- this did have a significant impact despite its two years of existence. And if we go to America, a number of places claimed to be the first gay bar. Basically, everything became a gay bar when the really cool gay people showed up and everyone just followed them there. That was consistent <laughs> throughout uh, history. Uh-huh, so uh-huh. the Atlantic House was constructed in Provincetown in 1798 as just a tavern in the stagecoach stop. But after artists, actors, and in particular Tennessee Williams got there, it became just a de facto gay bar because they would summer in Provincetown in the 1920s. So that was it. This was just the spot now. Black Cat Bar founded in 1906 in San Francisco. It didn't become a gay bar until 1933 after it closed and was reopened. It was focused for one of the early 
earliest victory is what was then called the homophile movement, when in 1951, the California Supreme Court affirmed the right of homosexuals to assemble in. But for anyone who, who's listened to our Gold Rush episode, you know, San Francisco was founded and called a city of bachelors. Oh, yeah. It was just a bunch of dudes. It, it was just a bunch of dudes. Uh, I was born at the wrong time. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was not just a bunch of dudes, but because it was so many dudes, there was this aspect of people going over there because it was like, oh, yeah, I mean, there aren't any women anyway. This is going to be way more accepted. And I mean, it was. Bachelors was said somewhat with a, a nod and wink, and some were like, oh, yeah, bachelors are just single guys that are probably straight. <laughs> just no <laughs> consideration of what was going on. Yeah. So although this was the first one in San Francisco, there were plenty of meeting places uh, beforehand, starting especially at the Gold Rush. I'm from San Francisco. Are you? Yeah. Uh, wait, was has Black Cat Bar still open? I think it opened a couple times. I've been to a couple bars, but I've never been to Black Cat Bar. I've been to like other, I've definitely been to other gay bars in San Francisco, but not that. But there's a place called, um, I was like a, a just like side anecdote. I was like a closeted teenager. Mm-hmm. And there's a place called Hot Cookie where they have dick cookies. And it's like, I went with my <laughs> friend. I was like, yeah, could I have like one dick cookie? And they were like, <laughs> and then I just kind of deep throated it. Like, yeah, I'm straight. Um, yeah, but um, <laughs> isn't this funny what I'm doing right now as a joke? Wow. I'm just, yeah, um, this isn't fun. Um, but uh, yeah, that's so interesting. Yeah, I remember reading about that, about the gold rush. No, it was really interesting and just a, a great step forward uh, in, in the country too, where like so much bad happened from the gold rush. But one of the great things was just the thriving gay community that came out of it. <laughs> <laughs> we also had Eve's Hangout, which was also called Eve Adams Tea Room, which was one of the first lesbian bars in the country established in New York in 1925. And then one of great significance was the Julius Bar, possibly the first modern gay bar founded by Matthew Nichol, where the Mattachine Society, which was, you know, an early gay rights organization, maybe only the second behind Chicago Society for Human Rights. But, you know, there's some debate there. A stage just sip in on April 21st, 1966, as a challenge to a rule from the New York State Liquor Authority prohibiting serving alcohol to gay people on the basis they were considered disorderly. I think that should be in place today. <laughs> I'm a sober gay. No, just kidding. Dylan, uh, I was waiting for you to make the joke. I, yeah. I, I, I don't know. They're disorderly. And, uh, I mean, I'm sober. I don't drink. So I'm like, yeah, let's have that. Let's bring yeah. that law back, guys. <laughs> <laughs> well, but in, in fact, the loosening of this led directly to the development of the Stonewall Inn, which you told us about. Do you want to give us a little bit of the history here? Yes. Oh, my goodness. So this led to the court ruling that gay people could peacefully assemble in bars and led to the opening of the Stonewall Inn, a block southwest in 1967, which would become the famous for the Stonewall Riots of 1969, which became a significant movement in the gay liberation movement. Uh, Raids on gay bars were common, and Stonewall had been raided a number of times. Like many gay bars at the time, it was mafia-owned, rarely having gay owners or management who were sympathetic to the struggle. I'm just imagining a, hey, I'm sorry. (laughs) Tony, I'm just picturing Tony Soprano in the back of Stonewall. (laughs) And gay people not having many alternatives, the mob knew they could serve watered-down drinks, mark up the prices, and blackmail some of the more influential to clientele in return they could facilitate payoffs to the police okay yeah so shitty but also i do like the thought of bribing the police so i i don't i'm i'm going back and forth on this yeah yeah <laughs> some pros and some cons the cops are at no point are the good guys of this story <laughs> so like like we're not pro mob but like all right we're, we're glad they kept the cops out of this for a little while so police had been on these campaigns of entrapment for quite a while particularly when the mayor wanted to revoke the liquor license of all gay bars preparation for the 1964 World's Fair to preserve the city's image. And Stonewall, it had no running water or liquor license. Dirty glasses were just run through tubs of water and then reused. There were no fire exits. Toilets overran constantly. But it was the only gay bar in New York City where dancing was allowed. Wow. Wait, was that like a city rule? Or like were the other bars yeah. <laughs> just like, we're not going to dance here? It was the only bar that prepared enough for it that when they got raided, they could do something about it. So they had a bouncer set up behind a peephole and you would only be let in if you were either known to the bouncer or had a gay enough appearance that the bouncer thought you were cool. <laughs> this was the rule that they basically established. But also because of the payoffs, they were getting tips if the place was going to be raided. So during most of the night, they had gel lights and black lights uh, going. And if a raid was coming, they switched those off, switched the white lights on, and that told everyone to instantly break up. No dancing, just shut it down. And then when the raid came, basically the police would line everyone up. They would check IDs. And that was pretty much it. They, there was nothing they could do at that point except for anyone that was cross-dressing. 
thing they were able to arrest. And they they did. And occasionally they would get, uh, you know, management or workers. But, you know, they obviously had these mob connections that were going to be let out soon enough. So most of the patrons showed their ID and they got out of it fine. But I mean, the rule for women, the clientele was 98% men. But for the women, you had to be wearing three items of feminine clothing to not be considered cross-dressing. If you only had two items of feminine clothing, they would arrest you for cross-dressing. So even if you were a woman, but you were just like not wearing enough feminine pieces of clothing, they'd throw you out? Well, arrest you, take you to jail. Well, they'd arrest you for cross-dressing? Yeah. That's wild. No, if, if a woman was there in pants, she was most likely going to be uh, arrested. Holy shit. Yeah. So uh, this is why they, they had this setup. So again, if you were going there in drag for men or women, you were taking a shot. If, it, if there was a raid that night, you were going to be arrested. It's silly to do this for the World's Fair, by the way, <laughs> in the 60s. Like, the World's Fair is something I think about exclusively in terms of like, oh yeah, Chicago had the World's Fair and we got the Ferris wheel out of it. Or like, oh, that's where we've showed off light bulbs. But by the 60s, like, come on, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah. Well, the thing was, the level of homophobia here had, had really been ramping up. So, In fact, three days ago, New Jersey officially apologized for their policy of raiding gay bars throughout their history, which, but like no reparations. So, okay, I guess, but you guys aren't doing anything about it. Yet. Cool. Thanks, Jersey. Right. Yeah, thanks. It was just like, oh yeah, sorry. Yeah. I should get paid a thousand bucks for that. Yeah. <laughs> Even from Jersey. Yeah. So you're telling me like the child of one of the mafia guys that owned the gay bars is now just a mayor being like, sorry guys. Yeah. <laughs> sorry for the raids. No, that, that was pretty much it. At this point, it wasn't just raids. It was also a heavy entrapment. There was one story about where a cop just did something sexual and when a man asked if he was okay he had him arrested for basically propositioning him. The cops were looking for anything here and it, it was just extreme abuse which is, is why this was so pivotal because at, at this point everyone had gotten sick of this. This was happening too often and basically the mob at this point had realized that they were making more money through extortion than they were from drinks and the cops were only getting a cut of the drinks not of the blackmailing of, of the gay clientele. So so the cops decided they were no longer going to honor the deal here and raided the place without warning. And there had already been a couple of times where where protesters had resisted in raids, but basically Stonewall was it. Stonewall, they, they just had enough. They weren't going to put up with this anymore. There were a couple of the women that, that were there. There were calls that were, they were being touched inappropriately when the police were frisking them. And the crowd just got angrier. The patrons had to wait outside for uh, patrol wagons. And the um, ones that had been let go that weren't going to be arrested, normally they just leave. This time they didn't. This time they stayed and a, a crowd grew, reaching between 100 and 150 people within minutes. Some of the former patrons performed for the crowd, mocking the police. When the first wagon arrived 15 minutes later, it was already huge. 500, 600 people at the end of the night. And the crowd just grew angrier for good reason. They started throwing pennies and beer bottles at the wagon as rumors spread that patrons were still being held inside and beaten. And uh, a woman in handcuffs was escorted from the door several times because she escaped repeatedly. <laughs> oh <my> God. <laughs> so when she was hit on the head with a baton, after she claimed her cuffs were too tight. Accounts vary as to who the one was. Storm DeLavery has been identified by, by some, and she says herself it was her, but there are some other accounts. She yelled to the crowd, why don't you do something? And they just all kind of realized, oh yeah, why don't we? There are 500 of us. There are 10 of them. After an officer picked her up and threw her into the wagon, they just broke loose. The police tried to restrain the crowd, knocking some down, which incited the rest. Some of those handcuffed in the wagon escaped as the crowd tried to overturn the wagons. Someone in the crowd yelled that the bar was being raided because they didn't pay off the cops. So someone else yelled, let's pay them off. And the crowd started pelting them with coins, then beer cans, then the bricks they found from a nearby construction site as the police got more violent. So 10 police officers barricaded themselves and several detainees inside the inn. And as if, if you want to go read about this, you, you should. There's a lot of detail that I, I can't include in this, but it was just an absolute breaking point where all these people had, had been victimized for, for too long and they had had enough and the societies there to help them were largely saying their message was we're just like you and we can integrate and you don't have to be afraid of us and this was this huge statement of we are exactly who we are and you're arresting us for that and it led to these massive movements in response to this by, by 4 a.m the police had, had, had cleared the street but the next night they were back with over a thousand people six nights later there had, had been an article by the village voice which was supposedly the most liberal paper at, at the time that was very insulting and derogatory and just just thousands marched including between 500 and a thousand people from other groups that had just been unsuccessful with the police and wanted to know how these people did it they, they wanted to <laughs> <laughs> we're allies how did you do that like woo 
<laughs> Literally a thousand people marching with them, just being like, okay, guys, you watch because we keep trying and they keep arresting us and they are terrified. All the potheads. Oh, yeah. the potheads. <laughs> All the potheads are just like, hey, cool. Uh, what was what was that again? Right. That yeah. Because <laughs> well, Bob Kohler had said everybody else had rioted, but gay people weren't supposed to. That, that wasn't ex- expected of them and nobody had ever forced the cops to retreat before. So the anger from the cops at, at this first night was enormous because just everything weak and ineffective about them was being called out by these people that they considered less than them that were obviously so superior in every way that it, it was just this fantastic display. And within six months, activists started a citywide newspaper called Gay. Two others initiated within six weeks of that. This was in response because the Village Voice wouldn't use the word gay in ads trying to get people to join these groups, these LGBTQ plus groups. So they started their own newspaper. A readership climbed between 20 and 25,000, uh, like immediately. Oh, wow. Me and my grandpa and my dad, we saw Kinky Boots when we were in New York like five years ago. And it, my gra- my grandpa is actually very sweet and very kind of like, you know, very nice about me and my twin brother being gay. After the first intermission, he was like, so uh, do you read the gay paper? Do you uh, get a gay paper and read it? I'm like, oh, uh, <laughs> I don't I, I don't read the newspaper at all. Uh, but I was like, oh, I guess that was a thing. OK, yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, it it. It absolutely was. And that just the response to this created these groups that were trying to meet the public where they were, that you can be open, you can be who you are. And obviously the year after that was the Christopher Street Liberation Day from the street where all this took place. And this was the first gay pride march. And this all, all came out of this this act of just extreme rebellion against what was so obviously wrong. And I just love how hard they kicked the police ass in response to this. It was like nobody else could do it. Yeah. <laughs> Props up to Marsha P. Johnson, Zazu Nova and Jackie Hormona, who are believed to have been the vanguard in throwing the bricks. And fuck yeah, ladies. Yeah. I love it. Hell yeah, Sylvia Rivera. Um, I didn't realize that it was 10 cops versus 500 people. I had no idea. I'm like, yeah, I didn't. It's like, that's very in- incredible that it was like kind of one moment where a, a woman was like, why don't you do something? And then they all did. Yeah, what, when what was when it's discussed now, is, as you, of course, know, uh, our audience might not, is that this, this wasn't anything organized. This wasn't one group. This wasn't one ideology. It was just everyone at once realizing this is so wrong. We have to do something. And by the way, when the next night, when the cops came back with a hundred people and heavier weapons and more cars, did the same thing. Kicked their asses again. Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> So, I mean, that was pretty much it. After that, you start seeing, obviously, them open more frequently. You see these, these heavily development. You see the advancement of uh, gay culture and the society as a whole and this fantastic growth, uh, which brings us to the gay bars of today, which people like Wen and I, uh, well, not us specifically, we're doing good and we're trying our best, but people like <laughs> us are ruining it by making out. <laughs> and you know what? I, you know, you guys were talking about the sodomy that was illegal in England a couple of years ago. I I did go into the Stonewall bathroom and um, blow a couple from Brazil, and that was legal and actually encouraged. Yeah. And um, <laughs> so it led to that. That's yeah. what the liberate, you know. <laughs> no, we were actually thrown out because of it. It was uh, we 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 were in there for twenty minutes, and uh, <laughs> there was a line around the door. They knew exactly what was happening. They knew what was happening. But the fact that we could, I mean, yeah. yeah. So <laughs> and I feel like the issue was mostly the time frame like if you got in and out of there in like five minutes it would have been cool <laughs> yeah exactly I, yeah I, it, we took too long and i think there was just it, we took too long that's it yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, that, that's pretty much it. That That's the history of gay bars around the world and in America. And obviously uh, a, a very pivotal moment here. This will be coming out, unfortunately, like mid-July now. I wish we, we had done this before <laughs> June, but we're going to keep gay pride going as long as we possibly can. It's two months. Asian yeah. Heritage Month is three months. Gay Pride's two months. So happy Asian Heritage Pride Gay Month. Yeah. <laughs> hey, they moved the Chicago Pride Parade to October. That's true. So really, we're just doing whatever at this point. <laughs> you guys have Chicago Pride? I mean, like we all have our things. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that's the history. We, we covered the where it went wrong uh, early on. Are there more where it went wrongs? Is it pretty much? <laughs> oh my God. Well, I could, let me, okay. There are many things that, <laughs> Yes. <laughs> that, um, okay. I think just when the DJ, okay, this could be this or any club. When the DJ thinks that they could put their own little spin on a song that was yes. mixed by Pharrell, it's 
it's like, what do you think you're doing? Do you think you're going to do better than Pharrell or Max Martin on this track? <laughs> Just play the fucking song. Some gay bars try to be super cool and like remix songs. It's like, I, you just want to hear the original. That's all you want to hear. Yeah, it's the same thing like when you go to a concert and they play the new stuff. It's right. like, nobody wants this. Yeah, no one wants this. I don't want to have to figure out a new kind of dance to go along with your remix of Dancing on My Own, the best exactly. song that I think we can all Exactly, agree. exactly, exactly. All right, so if we have the whole history here, what we love is obviously gay bars in general. Fantastic. Where it went wrong is mostly the way street people ruin them and some terrible DJs. That should bring us to in their defense. How do we defend straight people making out in gay bars? And that this feels like there isn't one. <laughs> let me think. Let me think. Okay, maybe there's like a bug on one of their lips. It's like, oh, let me get it, and they like kiss it out. I guess that's like one defense. Yeah. No, that's that's probably what happens like ninety to ninety-five percent of the time. Sure. <laughs> there's yeah. still some exceptions, obviously. I think not a defense but I'm going to call this an explanation. As a straight white Jewish man, you get used to everyone being cooler than you. <laughs> and you're in a place where everyone is having a good time and part of something and you want to be part of that too, but you can't. So you just kind of ruin it with your straightness <laughs> instead of being like, oh, maybe I can just observe this as a bystander. So it's like, this is the way I can be a part of it. And it just ends up like taking it all down, which is, I feel like something we're good at in general is just, just <laughs> making things slowly worse by trying to be a part of it. Yeah. I can roll with that. I can yeah. roll with that one. <laughs> mm -hmm. I had, I, I'm trying to think of a good defense and I got none. I comfortable in, in, in queer spaces. I mean, not, not to say like, oh, I'm, I'm so hip or anything like that. It's just, I, I was a musical theater major, literally just like all of my friends and all of my hangouts were just basically just in queer spaces. And then when I go out and I live right next to Boys Town, I have friends that want to go out to, to the gay bars. And I, I've never understood the guys that like are just like oh do you just like sit in the corner and just kind of like hey, like let them do their thing while you just like hey. I'm like no I'm I'm enjoying myself they're playing the montage from Umbrella Academy of <laughs> <laughs> like that dancing montage in the first episode and oh I'm in there like, getting it it's, it's a good yeah. time like I'm I'm having a great time I but why dominate I mean I'm I, I don't got a defense because I'm just like why dominate the fucking mm -hmm. space mm -hmm. I have one example where it was me and my wife's friend were like standing at the bar and some guy came up and he just bongoed both of our asses and like grabbed us. It was just like, do you guys uh. want to go to the bathroom? And I got to be like, that's a, like someone was just like, I told them the story. And they said, did you get mad? I'm like, what kind of straight bullshit? Would yeah. I got mad at the most flattering <laughs> flirting I've ever had in my entire oh, yeah. life. I've never had yeah. someone flirt with me, ask for a threesome with me. <laughs> like That checked all of my boxes of shit that's never happened to me before in my life. Life, and uh, I'm so flattered. Yeah. To ruin that with straight kissing. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. My only possible defense is you got so drunk you forgot where you were and you kind of <laughs> ruined something for everyone else. And that's not even a good defense. That's just like what people fucking do. I could, you know what? And that happens every night. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was also going to say one thing. You know, I think it is for some people, it's cool that like that there is the kind of like engagement culture that like gays just kind of like go for it and like touch people and like they're just like they're like you know put you know and stuff and like that's kind of like a shorthand but also I feel like you know it's not the best thing when gay guys are just going up and touching anyone like some people don't like like aren't like you know some people are which is fine and cool but like sometimes like you just have to ask and like consent is like not ever like talked about and like like in the gay so that is actually one thing I also want to say about that if there was just more like verbalizing before going something or like establishing consent at gay bars I think I think yes, that, yes that'd be I agree better. With that. but I just want to say I feel the safest at Iris pubs because of that yeah <laughs> <laughs> that, that's my safe space though seeing sweet Caroline which uh, just, yeah. they, were, they were six feet apart before 
COVID. Yes. Before COVID. Uncomfortable with physical affection. I love that. You sweet Caroline, that song saved my life. So I'm I'll sing it anytime. Are you seeing a change after that post COVID where now, I mean, I'm getting more people asking me if I want a handshake or a hug or anything. Are you seeing that at, at, at gay bars as well, that there's more requests for consent or has it kind of just gone back to? I, I haven't been to a gay bar since actually. Oh, really? I just, yeah, I really haven't, but maybe I'll, I'll observe that next time I do. I know that there's more of that in like, just, you know, when I interact with anyone, there's more of like, Hey, what are we doing? Hugging, you know? Nothing. Right. Which I love. I like, I mean, I, I, like I, with hugs. I just like having that check-in. There's nothing wrong with saying, are you okay with this? Yeah. yeah there's <laughs> nothing wrong with asking. It's a fraction of a second that lets you know that like yes. everything's cool and there's nothing wrong with it. It doesn't ruin spontaneity by just being like, you good? Yes. Right. That's it. It's yes. so easy. It's very quick. And I actually personally, I prefer the elbow touch. Oh, that's good. I think that was great too. I think the only challenge now is that we need to get used to it because nobody's sure which one to do. So a lot of people are going forward with like the elbow or the fist bump or the handshake. Yeah. And yeah. then there's no agreement. So it's like, if we all start asking, we don't have to deal with this. We can just exactly. check in. <laughs> yeah. I will from 20 feet away start with the elbow just and yeah. get up for like <laughs> just 20 let you know early. Yeah. You just see someone down the hall and you just lean yeah. elbow the entire exactly. way. And then I ram into them into their chest with my elbow full yeah. speed. <laughs> you didn't know this, this was a fight. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think that about wraps it. I do love that of all the horrific historical events we've covered, the one thing we can't defend is straight people making out in gay clubs. <laughs> wild i've defended some very horrible things on this podcast but i can't think of anything all i got is you got drunk and you forgot right. where you were and that it. happens but like it's not an excuse or there's a bug yeah or there's a bug or there's a bug, <laughs> or there's a bug. No, even as i was going through the explanation i thought this might be why it happened but none of this makes it okay you're just ruining something <laughs> just, just don't ruin it <laughs> so guys that's gonna do it for us dylan adler thank you so much for coming on today guys please go follow him at dylan adler underscore on instagram and dylan adler six on twitter and stand up in new york city i mean you're you're back doing shows now yeah back doing shows i usually post when i perform on insta stories and so yeah thank you um that's that's pretty much it for me thank you so much for having me this was so fun and insightful oh my god Absolutely. thank you so much for coming on this is always the highlight of my week this was one of my favorite episodes already <laughs> i can already tell i haven't even listened to the final product i just know it has a good oh, vibe yeah. and i love it yeah it has a good vibe this is great it was it was uh one of mine too audience we hope you enjoyed it as well thank you for listening if you enjoy this please subscribe give us five stars it helps us out so much we have our patreon link down in the show notes and if you subscribe to that for us you help us keep the show going so it's a huge help we're gonna be back next week and we hope you'll join us then when i'll see you next week bye bye